about a month ago. I welcomed the opportunity to be here again. I uh, retired a little more, well, at the end of May 2021 from serving a congregation in San Francisco. And so I've been um, here for almost a year now. And I'm learning some of your names, but there are a lot of names to learn. So if I don't quite remember and ask you again, please forgive me and help me. Some of you asked about my wife, Susan. She's not here this morning. Some of you've met her. Uh, she's dealing with a severe sleep disorder that uh, often makes, her, makes it very difficult for her to function in the mornings. But I'm hoping that a time will come when she will be able to be with us here to worship in the morning and more of you can get to know her. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, while we were children of wrath, while we were your enemies and rebels against you, yet, Lord, while we were yet sinners, you saved us. Jesus Christ came and died for us that all who believe in him, all who trust in him, all who call upon his name with saving faith might be saved. And you give us, Lord, the words of the apostles, the words of the prophets. Your word is life. And in that word, Lord, accompanied by the Holy Spirit, our hearts are changed and we're enabled to believe. And not only to trust in you and be united to Jesus, but also, Lord, to grow in him. And to receive strength from him as we abide in him. And so we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and open our ears this morning. That we might hear not the words of man, but your word speaking to us. Guiding and directing us through all our days and bringing us to heaven. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Our passage today starts, if the world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. But I call your attention to the verse before that Chris covered last week, verse 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. I believe there's a contrast there. We are called, as the people of God, to be a people of love. Actually, to love our neighbor as ourselves is a summary of the second table the second part of the Ten Commandments. And one who loves God, which is illustrated in the first four commandments of the Ten, is reflected in how we love others, and especially how we love the saints, how we love our brothers and sisters. Over and over in the Gospel of John, later in the first epistle of John, these words of Jesus that we should love one another are repeated. And that is contrasted with the world that hates us, but first hated Jesus. And that's the reason that it hates us. First of all, to be loved and chosen by Christ is to be hated by the world. We find that in verses 18 and 19. The world. Now we need to understand this correctly. The world doesn't mean the created order. God made the heavens and the earth by the power of his word in the space of six days, and he pronounced it very good. And though man has fallen, and though that fallen condition has affected the world in which we live, 
It is still God's world. And it reflects His glory. God created the world in order to manifest who He is and His greatness and power. And as we look at the world, we are without excuse. We should be able to see the glory of God reflected. It's because of our fallen condition. It's as if we look at the world through distorted glasses and we end up worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Whereas the creature is to point to God. And so when we appreciate something that's good, nothing wrong with appreciating the goodness of God in the world. Good food, good friendship, good music, good art. Nothing wrong with appreciating those things. They are the product of God's common grace that even sinful men produce things that are good and beneficial for the people of God. Even though those who are unconverted don't see God in those things, we should be able to see that. So creation is good. But when it talks about the world hating us, it's talking about the rebellious order of the world in which we live. A system that is built upon lies, beginning with those first lies that Satan told, told Eve in the garden. It's a world in rebellion against God. Satan told Eve that if she ate of the fruit in disobedience to God, didn't trust in God's word, didn't believe God's word, that she would know good from evil. But it's impossible to know good from evil apart from God. And so when we believe the lies of the world, we become the slaves of Satan, the liar and the father of lies. And so when it speaks of the world here, it's talking about another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, the rebellious kingdom. Indeed, um, the conclusion of this service, we're going to sing from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 talks about that conspiracy. The Lord said to my Lord. I'm sorry. Go back up to the beginning of that Psalm. Uh, the nation's... The nations uh, are enraged. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That illustrates this rebellion that we have in the world. Rebellion against God himself and against his law and against his anointed, his Messiah, his eternal son, through whom and by whom he made all things. And so this conspiracy is true, not just of Gentiles, the nations, but also of the Jews themselves. Over and over they rebelled against God, though they were God's covenant people. And Jesus was crucified by the acts of both Pilate, who was a Gentile, a Roman, and Herod, who was the king of a certain part of the Jews of his time. Because both Jew and Gentile hated darkness. They loved darkness and they hated light rather than their sinfulness to be exposed. That's the world that it's talking about here. If they hate you, Jesus says... They hated me first. If we are in Christ, as the beginning of John 15 says, if we abide in the vine, if we receive our life from Him, if His light is in us, then we can be sure that the world who hates the light, the world who hates Christ, will also hate us. 
We may not undergo the great persecutions of the first three centuries of the Christian church or the great times of persecution that uh, have been throughout history, though those times very easily could come. And we who are Americans who live in a relative degree of freedom need to remember that there are peoples and churches in various nations of the world that are under severe difficulty and severe persecution and are hated. But even in our lives, we may be subject to ridicule, mockery, misrepresentation, lies. If the world hated me, they will also hate you, Jesus said. He said the world loves its own. The word that's used there for love is the word from which uh, we can get the word friend. The world loves its friends. But even the love of the world for its friends might come to an end. There may be the appearance of friendship. Remember the prodigal son? He went off into a foreign country but, and he had many friends in his riotous living. But when his money was gone, those friends were gone. So often the friendship of the world is an illusion, but being hated by the world does not necessarily mean that you're the friend of God, because the world hates its own. The love of the world is bound up in my own good, my own way, my own end, my own purposes. And when people stop serving those ends, those selfish ends, then people may say, you get in my way. That's because they're part of another kingdom. But we're called to be part of a kingdom where we love one another. The world will hate you, he says, because you are not of this world. I've chosen you out of this world. Therefore... They hate you. We were chosen not because of our own good, not because of our own righteousness, not because of our own holiness, not because we deserved anything. Ephesians 2 says that we were once children of wrath. We were rebels against God. We were the enemies of God. But God, in His grace, made us alive and enabled us to believe with saving faith. He brought us into His family. We were chosen. We were hated at one time, but now we are chosen. And Christ blesses us while the world curses us. But the hostility of the world may actually be a blessing. Remember what Paul said? Paul speaks about praying that a thorn in the flesh might be removed. And people speculate as to what that thorn in the flesh might have been. And it could have been a physical ailment. Some people speculate that he had problems with his eyes, and uh, uh, some people think that he may have been an epileptic, and uh, people speculate. But that thorn in the flesh may very well have been the hostility of the Jews, his own people, toward him. Because they sought to kill him, first in Damascus, after he had been converted, later in Jerusalem, then in Galatia, then in Macedonia, in Ephesus, in various places. Yet he had a desire that his own people would be converted, that they would come to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. But he said that the thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, taught him not to be proud. And so opposition to us might teach us humility, might point us from this world to the abiding kingdom 
that, to which God has called us. There's something greater than this world. Uh, the gospel, of, the little epistle of 1 John in chapter 2 and verses 15 and 17 says that uh, the things of this world are passing away. But those who do the will of God abide forever. The word of God speaks of the seed of the woman. That was the first promise, the first hint of the gospel that we find in the opening chapters of Genesis. That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. But the seed of the serpent will oppose the seed of the woman. Those who belong to Christ. And so it was throughout the history of the church. Cain opposed, hated, and killed his brother Abel. Esau hated his brother Jacob. Joseph's brothers despised him and sold him into slavery. Saul, the king of Israel, hated David. Ahab hated Micaiah. And when one spoke like Micaiah did to the king and told him the word of God, he didn't want to hear it. So how much more? Should we love one another, considering that the world will hate us, despise us, reject us, misrepresent us? Yet we have the privilege of being chosen and loved by God in Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on in verses 20 and 21 to say, don't be surprised at the hatred of the world. He's warning them beforehand. Remember what I said to you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Now this is something he had said back in uh, chapter 13 and verse 16. When he had washed their feet. He said a servant is not greater than his master. And so here he's reminding them. He is the eternal Lord of all. Through him all things were created that were created. He was with God from before the beginning of time. Enjoyed all the glory and majesty of God. And yet he humbled himself, Philippians 2 says. Took the form of a servant and to die on the cross. And so he said here that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Not greater than his master. That word that's translated servant. Probably not politically correct, but it's the word that also translates slave. There's a certain humility that's appropriate if we are the slaves of Christ. There's also a dignity and an honor in that. And so, He is our Lord and our Master. He's the Lord and Master of all. But He's our Lord. And so we are privileged to be called His servants. The servant is not greater than his master. And he says, if they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. J.C. Ryle, that evangelical uh, Anglican bishop of Liverpool, uh, he, he said in, one of his, in his commentary on John, he said, persecution has been the lot of true believers throughout the 18 Christian centuries of history. He was writing in the 1800s, early 1800s. The doings of Roman emperors and Roman popes, the Spanish Inquisition, the martyrdoms of Queen Mary's reign, all tell the same story. 
persecution. There's a lot of all really godly people at this very day. Ridicule, mockery, slander, misrepresentation still show the feelings of the unconverted people against the true Christian. As it was in Paul's day, so it is now. In public and in private, at school and at college, at home and abroad, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Those are words that we read recently for those who were in the midweek Bible studies in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Raul goes on, mere churchmanship and outward profession are a cheap religion, of course, and cost a man nothing. But real, vital Christianity will always bring with it the cross. There's a cost to discipleship. Jesus is being honest with his disciples here and honest with us. There's a form of Christianity or pseudo-Christianity that will tell you that your best life is now. And that if you believe in Jesus, everything will be good with you from now on. That's a misrepresentation. That's false advertising. Human nature doesn't change just because one becomes a Christian. It doesn't change the world, and it doesn't fully, entirely, at the beginning, change us. That's a gradual process of sanctification. And so the world will hate what is godly. The world will hate what is holy. It hated a perfect Jesus. It crucified Him. And so certainly it will hate us in our only partially sanctified state. But that persecution, that hatred of the world, proves that we are the people of God. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. Blessed, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That word that's translated blessed there actually could be translated happy. Happy are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You ever rejoice when people tell a lie about you? When they misrepresent you? When they make fun of you? When they laugh at you? Blessed are you. Happy are you. Happy are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That's a reason to rejoice that you're hated by the world. You're counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And it's not new. Back in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 7, the Lord said to Ezekiel, But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. That word that's translated impudent there uh, is, um, uh, it can mean hard-headed and um, stubborn. They won't listen to you because they're hard-headed. Well, 
It was the same for Jesus, the same for the apostles. It's the same always. The unregenerate will not hear the word of God. But the unregenerate can be changed. Considering Saul of Tarsus, how Jesus came to him, spoke to him, changed his heart, and he became Paul the Apostle. Those that Jesus is speaking of here are part of the visible church of that time. The Jewish leaders around him that will arrest him and and condemn him, falsely accuse him, hand him over to the Gentiles to be crucified and mocked. Sometimes those inside the visible church may be as blind as those who are outside. Baptism and church membership and going through the motions does not necessarily mean a changed heart. But the Word of God will always have an effect. It never goes out and returns to him void. The Word of God will either harden the heart or soften the heart. It will either convict one of sinfulness and it will break their heart and enable them to believe or it will harden their heart and they will further reject the Word of God like Pharaoh in Egypt. There is danger in the hearing of the Word of God. Either we respond to it and believe or we move further and further away from the grace of God. Jesus tells them, they'll do these things for my name's sake. My name's sake. Now, when, when the Bible speaks of the name of Jesus or the name of God, it's not simply talking about the word God or the word Jesus. The name of God is everything by which God reveals himself. His word is his name. That's why we pray, hallowed be your name. We pray that his name would be known, his name would be magnified. It's his identity, it's everything that he reveals about himself, it's his character, it's his plan of salvation. And we bear his name. When you were baptized, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit was placed upon you. And angels look on. Even when we reject our baptism, even when we reject that covenant relationship that we have with Him, and they see us as those who had the privilege of having the name of God placed upon them. And in having that name placed upon them, we're called to witness and to confess His name. That's what the apostles did in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, they said that there is no other name. Peter said, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter later in his first epistle in chapter 4 and verse 14 would say, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, that is, happy are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. When you suffer for Christ, you glorify Him. You bring glory to God. Those who persecute blaspheme. But when we are persecuted, we glorify. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, there the apostles, after they had been uh, commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus, after they had been beaten, they departed from the presence of the council, the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. 
And in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 12, if we endure persecution under trials, that is, we suffer, we shall also reign with him. They'll do these things for my name's sake. Why? Because they don't know him who sent me. That's the core problem here. Ignorance of who God is. They're the heirs of the Hebrew Scriptures. They had all the books of the law and the writings and the prophets of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament testified of Christ. And Jesus was, could be seen therein. But Jesus is not understood, he's saying, apart from the Father. They don't know me because they don't know the one who sent me. If one knows the Father, he will hear and love Jesus. Psalm 14.1 talks about the fool that said in his heart, there is no God. But in verse 4 of that psalm, it says, All the workers of iniquity, uh, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and they do not call on the Lord. It's the ignorance of God, the ignorance of Jesus, that leads to this persecution. No knowledge, persecution of his people. Jesus shows us the Father, as he did to his disciples. They said, show us the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. And so Jesus calls his own out of the world into a community of love, out of the world which pretends at friendship, but ultimately seeks its own selfish ends, into the fellowship to be part of the vine, to love one another as we abide in Christ with genuine love. He first loved us. He chose us. And he commands us to love one another. The rebellious world hates him, hates his name, hates his word, and hates his people too. But in knowing him, we know the Father. In knowing him, we have forgiveness of sins. In knowing him, we have salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Psalm 31 Psalm 31, beginning with verse 13, says there, For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. That's true of Christ. It might be true of us. But it follows, But I trust in thee, O Lord. I said, You are my God. Well, in verses 22 through 25, we find there that those to whom much is given from them, much is required. Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they had not sinned. So does that mean if they had never heard Jesus, they would have been sinless? No, it's not talking about that. It's not saying that they are blameless. It's saying... It's talking about, it's an exaggerated saying here. It's speaking of their central sin, their controlling sin, which is rejection of God's gracious revelation. He had come from the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so here, the leaders of the visible church of that day, those who had the priesthood of Aaron, those who had the temple, those who had the sacrificial system ordained by God, 
those who had the Hebrew Scriptures, those who had the promises of God, one of those promises was the promise of Moses in Deuteronomy 18, that a greater prophet was coming. And if you reject him, you're in danger. He's coming to speak the word of God. And here was that greater prophet that had come. But they did not recognize him. They loved darkness more than light. And so there's a warning here, not just for them, but for us also. A warning that privilege in Christ, in his church, in his covenant people can be a dangerous thing. We can be baptized, have the name of the triune God placed upon us, grow up in church, grow up in a nation where we have Bibles and the Word of God in many places, and yet not believe, not obey, and that may bring a greater judgment upon us. There are degrees of punishment in eternity. Jesus in Luke 12, verse 47 says, And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. There are sins that are greater. All sin, any sin, the smallest of sin is enough to keep us out of heaven, to keep us out of a relationship with God. No sin is so great that the blood of Christ can't cover it and that we can be restored to a relationship with Christ and live for eternity. But there are degrees of sin, and degrees of punishment in eternity. Greater knowledge means greater responsibility. The Word of God has an effect. It either draws us closer or it hardens our heart. The Jews were blinded and hardened in rejecting Jesus, and therefore judgment was coming upon them. And that's true of us too, with the privileges that we have. If we don't embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe it and trust in it, He's telling them that now, because he had come, because he had spoken the word of God, because he had manifested uh, who he was in his signs and wonders among them, that now there was no cloak, no covering. Their sin was exposed. They hated me because they hate my father also. They've seen my works like no one else has done. Now they have no excuse. And so... He fulfills what was written in the law. He says, they hated me without a cause. God's purpose was not frustrated. This was foreordained by God, told by God before it happened. Now, when it speaks of the law here, it means more than the five books of Moses. It speaks of entire word of God. And it's probably referring here to Psalm 69 and verse 4. Those who hated me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Now, those words were written by David. And David was one who was persecuted. He was persecuted by Saul. He was lied uh, uh, about to, uh, by many in his day. He had to become a refugee before he had become king. And even after he was king, his own son rebelled against him. One of his closest advisors, Ahithophel, turned against him, tried to destroy him. Now, David was blameless of those accusations against him. He was not sinless. But here is Christ who is not only blameless of the false accusations, but he is sinless. And the perfect Christ was hated. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was handed over. He was mocked. He was crucified. A shameful death. And yet, even that fulfills the plan of God. 
in his cross, in his death upon the cross, he exposes sin because it shows the penalty for sin. The wrath of God is poured out upon him for the sin of those whose iniquity he bore. But it also exposes the remedy for sin that in his sacrificial death upon the cross, our sins are covered and we're granted the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Those who hear the word of God, if their hearts are opened by the Spirit of God, they have the means of grace, have the means of grace at their hand. It's a dangerous thing to ignore that, for there's no excuse for those who do. Today, the scriptures say, if you, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Believe in and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being your covenant people. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being those who have had your triune name placed upon us by the sacrament of baptism. Thank you, Lord, that you have a people on earth who are the body of Christ, who remember you and worship you. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to be gathered together before you to worship you and to praise your name. We pray, Lord, that you indeed would speak to our hearts, that we might not be numbered among those who have heard your word, who have known something of Jesus Christ and yet reject him, but we might be those who love him, and in loving him, we love you, and in loving you, we love one another. Make us, Lord, a loving people, a loving fellowship, and enable us, Lord, to show that love to others, that others might be brought into that fellowship, unto salvation, in Jesus Christ, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Glenn, for bringing God.